This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. Oh my gosh, Andrea Gibson. What a true gem. Like, love this person. And I can't believe that I get to know Andrea, and I can't believe that they're on the podcast. So, poet of my heart, Andrea Gibson, today on the show. Please enjoy. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Oh, jeez, I didn't prepare. Um, my... <laughs> My name is my name is Andrea Gibson. I'm a I'm a poet. I guess I'm sort of uh, writing more prose these days, but I'm I'm a poet. I write uh, other stuff as well, and um, I've been doing it for a long time, uh, twenty years probably professionally. Yeah, I mean, come on. In our in our community, I would say you are one of the poets. A poet mm. feels you know what I mean, but like you're like one of you're like. You know what I mean? I, it's a different yeah, I mean, like maybe I should add the to the beginning of my name. The Andrea Gibson. <laughs> Doctor, right? <laughs> Dr. Gibson. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very impressive. Yes, it, it is. It is impressive. I have a plaque and everything. I think one thing that. Um, OK, well, here's what I'll say. So I think in terms of like awareness of you, I don't know. For some reason, I feel like I was aware of your work like almost before I was aware of your personality because, you know, social media, I think, has really changed our access to folks. Um, But I got to see you perform a couple years ago live for the first time, which was incredible. You're an amazing live performer. And then I also feel like something that has really, I mean, I just really like you. I really like your whole thing. And it's not just your work. I really like you. And I think one thing that helps me know that is what you're doing on social media right now and what you've been doing the last couple of years is just like, I think in terms of being a poet, I just want to say, I think there's something really special that you're doing that's has to do with being a poet in 2022 in terms of like, yes, you have books. Yes, you perform live or at least were before the pandemic. I don't know where you are with that right now, but um Right now, you're doing a lot of work on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Well, I mean, that's also partially, I've been in my house for two years. So, uh, probably a lot of your listeners won't know. I had a, uh, I got diagnosed with ovarian cancer 10 months ago. And so I've been more quarantined than anyone I know. But I've been in my house because I also have a chronic illness. And so I've been here for, two years. (laughs) And something about that, that, you know, because I am a performer and I didn't realize how much I enjoyed performing until I couldn't go out in the world and do it. Um, And so everything sort of came online. And one of the fascinating things about getting a cancer diagnosis, which I've been thinking about you a lot, I've been thinking about (laughs) people who are funny a lot because cancer has made me so much more funny and I think mm. that's one of the things. I used to be quite serious online, uh, honestly. Yes. Like I, I mean, I yeah. actually feel like I've seen what you're talking about. I don't think mm-hmm. I would have, you know, I wouldn't have like put that 
together, but um, yeah. I know what you mean. It made me funnier. Um, and it wasn't just, it wasn't an escape. I actually just got happier, which is hard to explain. It's been really hard to explain to anybody why this has been one of the happier years of my life. Um, but really, I just was sad before and I'm not sad anymore. And so <laughs> that's a lot of what's happening. Um, yeah, I think maybe from the outside, it, it could look like, um, using as it as healing or something, but it's just naturally how what's happening lately. I just have, my heart is lighter and so I'm funnier. And I'm really funny. I, I wonder if I impress you with my Instagram things because they're quite funny and I'm glad that you appreciated them. <laughs> yeah, I think you are. I think you are quite funny. I and am yes, funny. <laughs> yeah, I think you are very funny. Well, okay, but you're funny in a specific way that I like. Um, which is honesty. <laughs> you know, I think, I think one thing I'll say is like, and why this makes sense to me, what you're talking about, mm -hmm. is look, there are plenty of people who are successful as like an escape, um, mm -hmm. who are successful using, com using humor as an escape mm -hmm. um, for their audience. You know, like I have worked with, there's this comic I used to open for, um, like when I first moved to LA, for like a year I opened for him in like big theaters and he does mostly one-liners and they're like not real they're like it the skill is he can write one-liners that surprise people like he can he understands the sort of cultural premise or the cultural premises that we're living with and like does this sort of inversion of life and expectations that like none of it is coming from an autobiographical place and none of it is coming from like a deep emotional well. It's coming from like a social commentary place. Okay. Um, and he's extremely good at it. And I used to always, you know, I traveled with him for a year. I would always go watch him, which, you know, it's like you're watching the same set for a year, but I would go yeah. watch him every night because it was incredible to see him like be able to hold the audience in his hand and like you know, manipulate our understanding of the world like that. Cause it's so different from what I do. Mm. Like I would just yeah. watch him and be like, amazing. You know, and he also, his set list would be like 60 different jokes that are all going to yeah. take, you know, 60 seconds or whatever. And my set list is like 12 things or like five stories that are going to take like a thousand hours and be super detailed and come from like a place of, like a, from an autobiographical place and from like a sort of a wound or from poking the wound or from interest in other people and myself, you know, like it's just from such a different spot. So I'm curious about for you, you know, if in the last, if at, in the last year, if any of that has changed, I don't know, you know, where, how that is for you right now, like the, you know. where you're mining from. You know, the mine right now is is too big. Mm. Um, ever since, right after I got diagnosed, I didn't have, so they took out all my stuff. Um, and I didn't have any estrogen in my body and my brain didn't work. I'd spent, um, you know, I'd spent years wondering if I wanted to go on testosterone. And now I understand the powers of estrogen <laughs> because without estrogen, it was just like my brain was void of thoughts. I couldn't remember anything. It was really intense. And also it was probably partly chemo as well. 
Um, but when that all came back online, when I got to, when, you know, my body started to settle down and I started to take estrogen, um, something happened. And that was like seven months ago where my creativity was like this freight train running through me. It was just constantly so much so that I used to have a rule that I couldn't listen to any art or see any creative movies after 6 p.m. or I'd be up all night. And that's been my life because that's <laughs> how creativity, creativity works for me. But now it's like 4 p.m. I can't hear anything after 4 p.m. And even if I do, I'm still creating. So I don't even know if it's, if it's, wow. It's just too much is happening. So I will constantly be writing songs or essays or uh, poems or jokes. Like I can't, I'll write jokes for hours. And so I don't know that it's hmm. mining from a different place, except somebody threw a hundred more mines my way. And, um, and, and my work right now is to try to figure out the balance with it because wow. it's so much energy charging through me at all times at this point that um that i th i want it to be less i want it to be less so much that right now i can't stand reading a book or listening to a song because all it does <laughs> all it does is make me creative and i can't handle any more creativity because there are not enough hours in the wow. day so it just came from new minds i guess maybe i really yeah. i really appreciate that I can kind of relate to that too. I don't know if something has been happening for me in the last year. A lot of stuff is shifting and I feel, I feel sort of like I'm on fire. Um, I don't know what's going in on. A good like way, not, like, I don't mean like I'm on, I don't mean like you're on fire. I mean, I yeah. feel like I'm on fire. I feel like I'm like creating yeah. heat. Um, Do you think that it's possibly because, I mean, I don't know how quarantined you were, very, but yes, I think because I, yes. And, um, and then that sort of, you know, suffocation of, of, of just sort of being muted and in a small space. And then it just sort of bursts open like a firework or something. I'm wondering if it's like that. That's possible. I mean, I think, yeah, I think perhaps something that's been happening is, or like something that did happen is that, because we've been working at, for, I've been working for 20 years. So we've been working for mm -hmm. like the same amount of time in a live performance I think, I think I had um, been expending tons of energy on travel and like being in the world. Being in the world is kind of hard for me because I am super, I'm a highly sensitive person, and I feel a little bit like a terminator in my way of interacting with the world. In that, like, I feel like I see everything and hear everything. I'm like very present to what's going on and scanning what's around me. Like, I, I noticed this as a slight difference from other people. For instance, like if I'm out walking with someone and I'm like, oh, did you just see that? And it's like something across the street that happened that's funny or interesting. Oftentimes, the person I'm talking to is like, what are you talking about? Um, but it's just an experience that I'm having like a Spider-Man experience. I don't know. I think it's <laughs> part of the reason that stand-up works for me or like any creative endeavor yeah. works for me is that I'm just too, my like receptors are too open. Um, mm -hmm. which is difficult because it's, it's really amazing. Super. I like, I love it. And it's also the only way I've ever experienced the world, but it's also difficult because it's like very, it's very much too much. Mm -hmm. I have, I have a similar, well, you know, I had a similar experience. My inner world feels so different now that things will happen. And I will think that isn't, 
I'm an entirely different person. Um, I used to experience the world that way and like, uh, not the way that you're describing, because I think the way that you're describing is pretty healthy, but the way that I would, uh, used to feel with it was that everything was on top of me. Every sound mm. was on top of me, every, wow. um, voice, like everybody's mood wow. and everything I, I could just feel. And I would constantly have uh, panic attacks in public. Like I was, um, I had even the two years prior to uh, this diagnosis, like I could hardly leave my house um, because I was I had so much anxiety. And then that, listen, I have a dog hair in my mouth, which I always do. Um, but that has chilled out since. Yeah. 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 I mean, for me, that like having some distance from the world, I think has actually been really positive for me in some ways because I got to kind of like, I, I'm a little bit more picking and choosing how I would like to participate. And also I'm just, I'm also just back in the world, but like with a different battery. Um, and I don't know, it's, it is, it does feel different. And that's, I think that's also part of why I feel like I'm on fire is because everything that was like chipped, getting chipped away at, there was like a time mm. for that to sort of build. And it feels like a little furnace. It's not, it's like uncomfortable. I have a hard time sleeping. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But well, let me ask you this. How long did it take you to write your book? Well, a long time because I was making a television show and writing another television show at the time. So at the same time. Wow. I this was this is this is what I'm saying about my battery potential. <laughs> like for me, I'm just like, that feels like a reasonable schedule. It's like yeah. also touring. <laughs> that's not that's unreasonable. No, I know. I do the same thing. I've always done the same thing. And what I'm doing, I, I can't even imagine like I'm going on tour. I'm scheduled to go on tour in the fall and I'm trying to figure out how do I include my creativity mm. in that? But maybe some of the expression will, I mean, you know, in the creating of things, because I don't typically create on the road very much mm. when I'm on tour. But yeah, but I, you know, I've been thinking so much about your book. Um I, I just want to say, before reading your book, I had no idea how desperate I still was for representation. Oh, you think wow. at 46 years old, you know, I thought, I thought, I don't need that so much anymore. You know, I'm representing myself all the time now. Um, but it was so lovely to read and I've not stopped thinking about it. And I've, I think about it so much because I grew up in the Baptist church. I went to a Catholic university, much to the dismay of my grandmother, but I went to play basketball and um, and it has been such a part of my life, like uh, Christianity. And then through this time, having, you know, just random strangers on the street stop to pray for me when I didn't have any hair. And I was I've been thinking about uh, the interweaving of of Christianity and, and what we're going through as as queer people and what the world is going through, you know, what our country is right now going through. And but anyway, reading your book, it was just there are so many similar moments in our lives. And um, and it just it felt like reading my own life at times. And it was so helpful. And especially like the stuff that you the piece that I shared, uh, um, you know, about uh, your father. It really like I was just so weepy throughout so much of that. And I had such a uh, my parents had such a hard time when I came out and um, and I had so much compassion for them throughout, even when it was terrible and when I was in so much pain. And and 
I still now, like, I have so much compassion for what that process was for them. And I really appreciated the way that you wrote about it, the way that you were writing about it. It it felt to me how I would want to write about such things and hadn't figured out to yet, how, how to yet. Wow. I mean, I can't tell you how much that means to me. And also, I mean, I think I feel a similar way encountering you and your work. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Yeah, like, because part of what we're talking about here is that um, I did an event when the paperback version of my book launched that you were at, and you, I asked you and Najoma Aluo to pick passages that you wanted to read if that was something you wanted to do, and you picked a passage mm-hmm. and then you read it, and like you're such an amazing performer that it was truly incredible to like hear you do my words. I didn't realize how impactful that would be, but it mm-hmm. like was very very moving. Um, I wonder, I don't even remember, was I crying through the whole thing? <laughs> I think it was just, well, I mean, you you know what you were doing is you were just like doing, you were had you had a rhythm, because of course, right, mm. you know, that's how you perform, and it was just, it's not my rhythm, right? Um, and yeah. it was so cool, you know, it was like really, mm-hmm. God, may, may <laughs> I don't know why I got to experience that, you know, got to experience mm. somebody who has like so much to bring to the table than sort of performing my experience because it was different in your Mm. you know coming out of your mouth in like a really like it was your experience i don't mean that obviously you're reading my words but the way that you were doing it was your experience and that is wild i don't know why i got to see that with my eyes and hear it with my ears but i did and it was really 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 fucking beautiful it's It's really special. You know, I've been experiencing that throughout because I think it's probably more common where other people would be reading people's poems or something. So I've often heard it and it's, you know, it can be really sweet, you know, fourth graders or something reading a poem. And and then I can hear people read my work and think, huh, I wonder if I want to say it that way when I do again. But what I loved about your book is how much I I, I was very impressed by the craft of, of the book. And um and I was very impressed by how much you were able to bring your stage voice to the book. Like, I I could not believe it kept being as funny as it was. Oh, wow. And also just kept rooting back to, funny as it was in, in, in just like these really heartbreaking or heartwarming uh, moments. And then it just had, the pace was beautiful. It was really, it, it was stunningly done. Wow. And, and, and since I read it, I thought, I want to write a memoir. Yes. I don't know if I have... I don't know if I have the skill. I don't know if I have the patience. I'm so oh, impatient. Yes. But yeah. Yes. <laughs> My partner is writing one right now. And I'm like, I don't even know how you knew what happened three chapters ago. I can barely keep up with a long poem. Absolutely. Like, how do you do that? 
Yeah. Oh, well, I, okay. So I have so many follow-ups that I want to go back. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually going to write this down too. I want to talk about an economy of words, but in a second, because I want to ask you something else first. Can I ask you a follow-up question about what you said about testosterone? You were thinking about being on testosterone. testosterone oh, yeah. Like my estrogen. whole life. So I'm non-binary and my entire life. I've just wondered, huh, like do I want to chop off my boobs? Um, that's probably a crude way to say it, but that's how I think about it. <laughs> and, you know, it's if uh, um, and also going through there were lots of years that I contemplated going on tea and they're just constantly questions that I have, which you've I've heard like you express similar sentiments about like non-binary identities and stuff uh, for yourself. And um yeah, I've always wondered that. And I feel at this point, no, that's not going to be a part of my path. And I feel I feel cool with that. But I've, I feel like it could have gone either way for me. Um, and I feel like all of those things are very fluid for me. You know, you talk about it. I forget where if I heard you, if it was in your book or if I heard you talking about it elsewhere. But um, yeah, it's not like a definite for me. And I know it is for a lot of people, but I, I feel like I could have in many ways, like still used she and been comfortable. I could use he and be comfortable. They feels right. But also they isn't something I want my parents to use for me. I feel really, uh, it's really important to me to feel, to be their daughter. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's special, um, to me, like my mom, um, my dad always used to say this thing to me where he'd say, you're just a little girl. And my mom would say, you are my girl. And that stuff, it means something to me to still, I would never want that to uh, go away. But for mostly everybody else in my life um, uses uh, they pronouns for me, but I don't want my parents to. Um, yeah. So all of that is sort of, yeah, like that. Wow. I mean, yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, I feel you. I mean, it. I, yeah. th- I think that and I sort of talked about this recently on an on an episode of the podcast with Vico Ortiz. Um, I think I've just been sort of stumbling, bumbling, and in some pain over the last couple of years because I felt pressure. Like it it was like external but also internal pressure to to like um sort of get across some finish line in terms of gender expression that this is like it's it's my own read on other people sharing their joy i think sometimes when i've seen other people's joy about choices and changes that they've made for themselves mm. i have felt like is there some change or choice i could make that would give me that much joy and mm. if there isn't i felt jealousy and pain around that and i think that now i've it's like, this is a very recent shift for me where it's like, oh, it's self-acceptance is like my journey on that. Like it's yeah. it, somebody else's is some other thing. I think I've just been like, you have a thing that could make you love yourself? <laughs> fuck, like, fuck, you know? And it's, and it's, and it's like, you have a thing that could make you love yourself. It's you, like you're, you yeah. know? And so I've just gotten to this place very recently and it's, um, I'm really, I'm early on that path, but it's been something I didn't see a lot of people talking about or hear a lot of people talking about. And yeah. I, I don't even know how that came to me. I mean, I just, I, I don't even know why suddenly I realized that's what it was. And also, I don't yeah. know why I didn't know that before. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, 
No, I know. And I, I think that's what everybody is doing, you know, like trans joy online is it's one of my favorite things to see. I love I love people, you know, just loving on themselves. And yes. that is one place that we commonly see it when trans folks are uh, just being their whole selves online. Yes. And it's just like this is joy. This is what joy is of being who you are. Um, and I, I, I know that feeling. Yes, I I'll, I remember just years of just scrolling and scrolling and should I, should I, should I, should I? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think that I would have been totally happy had I. Yeah. It's so fluid for me, but it's also, I am so excited about what I don't know. What I don't know is what makes me most excited about this mm-hmm. world. And I love that I don't know uh, if, you know, if I have the blessing of living to be 90, I have mm-hmm. no idea what I'll, uh, what my gender will be like at 90. And I love that I don't know. I sometimes think I'm going to be a little old man. I'm going to wear suspenders. I'm going to be the coolest old man. And sometimes I see myself with, you know, uh, long hair and, um, and I'm an old woman and I, I, I don't know where I'll be at that point. I, I'm guessing the suspenders, but I'm not sure. Oh, I love to hear you talk about this. Thank yeah. you. Um, oh, sure thing. And I want to also ask you where you are with um God right now, you know, because uh, you were talking about people praying for you on the street yeah. and uh, you were talking about a Christian upbringing. And I'm curious, like, yeah, where are you with God? Where are you with an expression of religious affiliation? Like, where are you in that? In yeah, that? I, lo- I love that you asked that question. Um, so God is everything to me <laughs> right now. Um, I grew up and then I had this experience when I was 14 years old. I was, I was in the Baptist church and um, it was Thanksgiving dinner. We were um, serving the folks in our town or who, who were living in poverty uh, a Thanksgiving meal. This man walks into the church um, and he's very hungry and he immediately starts opening the creamers uh, and starts drinking them because the meal hasn't been served yet. And the preacher's wife comes over and reams him out, just screams at him. And I went into the bathroom, uh, screams at him about his rude manners. I went in the bathroom and I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And then I ran all the way home and I told my mom and they had, I told my mom what happened. And I feel like this is one of the true acts of Christianity that I had experienced, it almost makes me want to cry. I told my mom what happened and she just said, you don't have to go back. And I didn't go back. And when my mom said, you don't have to go back, I thought that's what Jesus would have done. Wow. <laughs> and um, and so I, I sort of had a, a time in my life where I left God behind um, because, you know, all I was hearing about God was God doesn't like who I am. So it was just not my thing for a while. And then gradually over time, I thought, okay, probably somebody didn't really walk on water. Okay, maybe Mary was a lesbian. What's happening here? Like, the, these are the sort of things that, <laughs> that, I, was, uh-huh. <laughs> that I was thinking. Um, and and then, uh, but I've had a very spiritual life. Um, my, I, I live in Boulder, Colorado. It's a very Buddhist community. A large majority of my friends are Buddhist. And that has been sort of 20 years now of, uh, just being deeply interested in spiritual things. You know, spiritual reading is constantly what I'm reading. I read lots of books about, um, Christ also. I think that the teachings of Christ were, I would love to model 
my life after someone like him. Um, and it's just, but this time, as soon as this happened, something happened. And what I mean by this is as soon as I was diagnosed with cancer and in the instant of the diagnosis, I suddenly became something changed where the past went away, the future went away. And all I had was this day. And every day I wake up and all I have is this day. And I don't know if I'm going to have tomorrow. And it's such a cliche to say that, but words don't even fit it because what is happening is I really feel that in my cells. I wake up with a sense of awe. I move through the day with so much awe. It could, I could burst into tears right now. Everything, the fact of this wall, the, <laughs> that I can hear cars driving outside, that I get to be here right now, it rocks me. Um, and in that process, I don't, I'm not, I don't think of myself as a religious person. I think of myself as very spiritual. And when I say God, I mean the universe. I mean that I believe the universe is on the side of love. <laughs> Whatever that means, that's what I mean by God. And, and everything about my life is about prioritizing my relationship with God, which to me is my relationship with my own soul. I think of all of us as as, as sort of just little specks of God coming together in this kaleidoscope of the universe, and here we all are being God. Um, but that is the primary thing in my life right now. And it's why I'm drawn to, I'm more drawn right now to Christian people than I ever have been in the last 20 years, because there is a way that we have something in common that I kind of don't have in common with a lot of my community, because uh, they're, you know, they're who, they're who they are. They're activists and artists, and they're not necessarily thinking about this sort of thing as much as I am right now. Did I answer your question? I went off on a tangent. Yeah, yeah, you did, because I don't know if you, I don't know if, I mean, I don't know if you're experiencing my face at all, but I will just say, um, I mean, I feel kind of stunned, I guess, because I was just speaking to my friend, my friend Glennon yesterday, and I like disclosed to her that I <laughs> feel like I might be a Christian, but like not in a, mm -hmm. not in an affiliated sense, in like a philosophical sense, you know, not in like a, I don't even, it's not, it has nothing to do with church and it doesn't, and I certainly don't think like, I don't think any of, you know, I certainly don't think that any of this was meant to even be taken literally, nor do I think it literally happened. It's like, it's more so just this sort of odd bumpy road that I've had where when I was a kid, this is how I was exposed to a set of like philosophical teachings that did work for me. And then leaving those things behind has also been great for me. Like, I'm glad I didn't stay. I'm glad I didn't like fight to have space in that. Like, that just doesn't, that's, I'm so glad that my life has gone the way that it has gone. Um, but then I'm just in this weird it was like divorce and then the pandemic sort of sent me back on this path toward like, I'm trying to understand how I feel about the world, about God, spirituality, about myself, you know, and I just haven't yet, doesn't mean I won't, found something that like, not something, I've heard found many things. I haven't yet found a person, although that's like not it's a collective, you know, that wrote, that worked together to like come up with a set of teachings. Um, 
I haven't yet found like a philosophical sort of umbrella that that fits me better. But there might be one. I don't know. Like, you know, I haven't been everywhere and done everything. Um, but then it's, you know, it's like, how can you even, how can I even say this? Because I don't mean, and so I belong to a church and I, and it's also like, it's not, it's not about, it's not like a capital C believing in anything. It's just, it's just, uh, like, what am I trying to do here? What are my daily actions sort of a thing? It's exactly how you just described your mom not making you go back to that church and how you said that's like the most Christian thing you've ever encountered. It's that. But I have no idea where the space is in terms of, I mean, there's space on this podcast because people that listen to this are like, you know, but I I don't know, this isn't something I would even bring up to most people because I don't even know how to contextualize it. Um, And nor do I feel that it's important to do so. It's just kind of an experience I'm having. Um, I mean, I do wonder if it's important. Like, I I like the idea of it being important because, mm. um, well, first of all, there are so many books about, um, so Buddhism is a philosophy, it's not a religion. And so when you read through that lens, um, it's just a, a philosophy about living. And when you read a Buddhist lens on the teachings of Christ, uh, that is really powerful to me. And when you're talking about what you're talking about, I'm like, this is how you use these teachings in a philosophy for for living in this world without actually you know, guidance for living in this world with actually having to, you know, say, I, I don't feel like I am would follow, listen to Christ more than you if you had something great to say, you know, where I yeah. think of everybody as children of God. Right, um, right, right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. But yes. I, I do, I feel you. And, the, and, and there is something like that I didn't want to give up from my childhood because I believe I'm an artist in part because I grew up Christian. Because to be taught this, like to think, think outside of the possibilities that this world offers us, to believe in magic, to think that we could actually uh, do these extra I don't know it just it, wow. it opened up my creative world like I don't think I'd be the same person if I didn't think somebody was walking on water years ago I mean you know? also also the fact that that he's valued so much to be raised in a community in like a situation where the the person that's valued so much is a person who compassionately and like not while putting others down but just speaks about what he thinks we're all doing here like that that the i mean that's literally i've chose this job you know what i mean like, yeah. like yeah. I, I went like <laughs> what jobs do people have and i was like i think there's somebody who travels around and speaks words you know it's like <laughs> that's literally the job i chose um, <laughs> totally totally but he didn't he didn't have the humor right you know you got to reach the people with humor. yeah exactly <laughs> well i mean um, i don't know maybe it's funny maybe that all got edited out because they thought it wasn't valuable i have no idea yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I've been working on this piece because um, I, I feel like people need to know. So I've been working on this piece <laughs> forever because one of the things that's happening is I'm thinking, what are all the things I want to say uh, that I haven't said? And one of them is a piece called The Devastating Hypocrisy of American Christianity. And it's a full out rant. But in the beginning of it, I'm talking about, uh, do you know, have you ever heard of Sister Megan Rice and the outlaw nuns? Nope. 
Oh, but okay. now okay. I'm going to write it down. <laughs> All right. So, so this is pretty awesome. So uh, when I moved to Colorado in 1999, I got involved uh, with this activist group called Vox Feminista. And we were artists that basically like we did all of our shows and stuff we put on was we were backing up with direct action. Basically, like uh, my mentors growing up didn't believe you should make a political art unless you were actually in the streets backing it up. So we were uh, just this large group of activists for 10 years just doing actions and 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 making um and making art but one of our our heroes was this nun called sister megan rice uh, that was her name and um and basically it was she came from like this lineage of radical catholic nuns and she was an anti-nuclear peace activist and i'm, I'm trying to say it without telling saying the exact words of the piece that i'm writing um, but basically she walked past, she had gotten arrested 50 times over the course of her life, uh, doing direct actions to try to stop nuclear war. And, um, in her last arrest, I think it was her final arrest. She walked past, past security cameras into the birthplace of the atomic bomb and spray painted, um, peace slogans over the nuclear facility while she was getting arrested, um, while she was getting arrested for sabotage. Now, as this happened, and then she's in court, right? And the judge is sentencing her. And she, because, in part because she wanted to be there for, you know, um, other incarcerated folks, told the judge uh, to remain in, in prison for the rest of my life would be the greatest gift you could give me. She was fantastic. There were so many fantastic Christians. And what's what I love is so many Christian people are the people that inspired direct action. Dr. King in the U.S. and civil disobedience. Oh, and Sister Megan Rice, she wouldn't call it civil disobedience. She called it divine obedience. That's what she called direct action. Come on. I know. I love that. And the idea that all these things were, 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 you know, like... uh, Wow. Oh, my God. Check her out. She's rad. You know, I mean, oh my God. Oh, I could talk to you about this forever. Nuns. We'll have a whole conversation about nuns. Sometime. I love nuns. And 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 nuns, <laughs> nuns I've known and nuns I got to know earlier oh, in my life. Do you know some good ones and some bad ones? Or do you know because I the ones that I know, they really like to drink. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like so I mean <sighs> Well, I'll say this. Um, when I was in college. I was part of a group that would go and there's a there's like a military base in Georgia, the called the School of the Americas, where they train paramilitary troops to go and do awful um, things, wild things. Yeah. Overthrow (laughs) governments um, for our political purposes. Mm -hmm. And um, I was part of a group that would go down there and protest. There's like the largest group of people that goes and protests is as a Catholic group because they supported an insurrection that like where um a bunch of jesuit priests were killed and nuns uh, el mazote yeah yes yeah is that what you're talking about yes. yes and so um you know i went to that protest and there's a line where it's like there's a line where if you're gonna walk across the line you're gonna get arrested you can also stop before the line and not get arrested either way it's um you know it's like Tens of thousands of people are there or something mm-hmm. like that. It's massive. 
massive. Yeah. Um, one of the people who's a who was who's very involved and was like speaking the year that I was there is Sister Helen Prejean. She's the nun that Dead Man Walking is based on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she like does direct service with death row inmates, which is, I mean, here she is at this thing and here she has these beliefs and like, that's amazing work or whatever. She's also a figurehead anti-abortion activist, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think even just in that one person, massive complexity (laughs) around whether or not I can think that what she's doing makes any sense to me. You know what I mean? Like, look at the de- the devotion in her life and look at the choices that she makes. And then also look at this thing that to me is so antithetical to human justice and, and to, to be able to hold all that. I mean, it's, that's, that, that's, I think, part of the confusion that I have in my life about, you know, who to look toward. I understand. And, you know, I remember reading years ago that Mother Teresa was in part uh, like had a really negative impact on the AIDS epidemic because she was telling folks not to use, you know, uh, yes. And yes. um, And that's so complex, isn't it? Because you you look at this person and and when I hear people and this is what's complex about it, when I hear people criticize her for that and Yes, I can understand that. Also, the people criticizing her for that are probably not giving their lives to the cause of making other people's lives better nearly as much as she was. I mean, she lived a pretty devastating, like in in, in yes. hard conditions. Yeah, um, she refused to live in any way that uh, the folks she was helping weren't living. And so that is like, wow, how do we hold that? I think that we just decide that that is something that we have to do for every individual. The idea that there are good folks and bad folks, the idea that there is someone with perfect politics and across every line is is so strange to me because we are all learning at different paces. And there are things that we learn before other people and things that we learn way after um, I've also been writing a lot about call-out culture lately, and that is one of the things that I think is that we're most often criticizing is that um, we're learning something before somebody else. Mm. And I'm not saying Mother Teresa ever would have got to, you know, saying, hey, condoms are cool, but, <laughs> you know, may- maybe, I don't know. Um, but yeah, we just, I think that we can hold the complexity of people um, because, and you know, when you say about picking apart stuff, I mean, I'm someone, I'll listen to sermons by homophobic preachers and get something out of them. Um, I enjoy, like, I enjoy going to church. I enjoy listening. Like, I'm not a Christian, but I enjoy listening to it. And I know that's really weird to say. And I don't mean the whole thing is just God hates fags shit. I mean that, if, if a little subtlety of homophobia comes in, I'm like, that's homophobic. Um, I'm not going to support this person or anything, but it doesn't mean that I can't take the other part that helps me. I don't want to put this individual on a pedestal, but if the other message is going to help me be kinder, I'm not going to throw that away because the other part is hateful. Take so, what you like and leave the rest? That's what I do. And I understand why other people aren't necessarily going to do that. Um, but and it gets complex, you know, with, I don't know, we have some 
like men who are, um, you know, we love everything about what they're doing politically. And then we find out they're raping people. Like, I'm not talking about, you know, that's whatever. I don't know. Now I just actually argued my point. Now I'm I'm saying to myself, Andrea, don't like anybody who doesn't have per- perfect politics. <laughs> oh my God. But I, well, this is, and then there's the thing of like, you know, love the art, whether or not you like the artist, which actually I disagree with because I feel like the art communicates the artist. But anyway, we, yes. you know what? Let's just, here's what I want to do. I want to put a pin in this because I have something very specific I want to ask you. Okay. Um, and it's, so it's about masculinity. I don't know if that's a word that you identify with, you know, so if there's a better word, whatever it is, but here's something I'll say, you know, I think the way that you present in the world with tattoos and short hair and, you know, the way I've encountered you, there's something really special in something I really appreciate in also the like softness that and tenderness mm. um in your work and just the way that you communicate you know like i perceive you as a very soft open person who talks about crying and who talks about love and i think for me you know gender wise presentation wise i think sometimes i have felt pressure around the the way that culture treats masculinity isn't necessarily different in queer communities in my experience. Like, I feel like there has, I feel like I, I'm a, I'm a soft little squishy. And um, sometimes I've felt that that was the wrong thing to be. Like, if I want to wear this kind of jacket, then I should also be Shane from the L word and like <laughs> need nothing and, and, care about nothing and leave easily, you know, with everything in, in rubble behind me. And I'm just <laughs> not that guy. <laughs> and, um, and sometimes it makes me feel like there's something wrong with me. Aww. And so I just want to ask you about your own positioning in here and, and how you give yourself permission or if this is even something that you think about. You know, I don't know if I think about it as much anymore, but I will tell you it's, I don't, I I, I kind of, it's funny because whenever I sit down to write about this stuff, that's when I learn about myself. Every time I write a poem about gender, I learn something, um, I learn something more. But until I sit down to write it, I don't usually know what's happening with my gender. But when you ask the question, um, let me see if I can articulate it in a way that makes sense. I, I consider, so I present masculine in, in how I look. I feel very, very soft, very weepy, very, um, sensitive, very, uh, I feel like a fairy, like, you know, and it's, it's strange to say, I feel more like maybe, um, a femme gay man when I'm, that's uh, how I feel. When I have a femme partner, you know, it's uh, so anyway, which feels like a little weird. So my partner is far more masculine than me, but she looks like she's super femme, but her energy, like she's tougher. She's not going to cry all the time. Like I am. She's like, I'll say so-and-so hasn't called me back in seven days. And she's like, who cares? (laughs) 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 And, And I know from the outside, we look 
just uh, the opposite. But here's the thing. When I, and I wrote the, a poem about this in my last book, when I had long hair and a perm that only took on one side of my head, it was terrible. I don't know why I kept insisting on doing it. But when I had long hair and a perm, I was tough. Through high school, I don't remember crying one time between my freshman year and my senior year. I guess we don't say freshman anymore, between my first year and my last year. And I don't remember crying When I cut my hair and came out, it was as if it turned me. I I finally had permission to be soft and I didn't feel that permission to be as soft as I was when I was presenting um, like a girl. And I don't know what that means. It just this feels like me. I feel far more like me looking like this and I feel far more like me uh, not being tough in any way. <laughs> There's nothing, <laughs> nothing tough about me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And it also changes too. It doesn't mean something doesn't happen. Like if somebody messes with my best friend or something, I can turn pretty tough maybe for a moment, but then I'm like, don't hurt her. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, not tough in any way. I don't feel butch. I've never resonated with butch. I think I did early on because it was the only word I had. And that was as soon as somebody said the word genderqueer to me years before I heard non-binary, I just leaped at it because I could feel in the word a sense of it holding me, holding the wholeness of me um, and just allowing for far more flexibility and possibility. And it just she and he both bump up against my ears. Sometimes I'm like, oh, it, it never hurts me. I'm all like, oh, that person thinks I'm a she. Oh, that person thinks I'm a he. Um, and I have friends with, you know, who, who, who are non-binary and have very, very different relationships today. So I don't want to put that out as a blanket statement. But for me, um, yeah, I don't have a painful relationship with it. But I, when I hear they, I think, oh, that's, that's probably who I am. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tender. Gender is fun, though. You know, it's fun to read, read people who talk about like uh, gender being fun because that like helps helps free you up a little bit. Like think of it as a a fun thing for me. And I know nobody, not everybody is going to be able to do that. But for me, when I started thinking of it as fun, I figured out who I was a lot faster. Wow. Yeah, I think I think maybe I've been afraid that if people like knew I was a squish ball, that they would fuck with me. You know, I mean, I think I feel a little fucked with by the universe based on, I mean, I think, I think it's, you know, childhood shit, getting bullied and then sort of being like the way to, which by the way, like toughness doesn't necessarily work in that situation. Humor can work a little bit, but it's also Mm. painful to develop that for that reason. Um, There's a, you know, when I say tough, I don't mean not strong. I think that there is so much strength in femininity and there is so much strength in vulnerability. I don't think that there is anything that requires more strength in the world than being vulnerable. Right. And so when I tap into the fact of vulnerability being a powerful place, it it also uh, it makes me feel like I can't be fucked with. The more vulnerable I am. Oh, my God. The less. The, yeah. It's like you become more porous. You can feel it in your energy where uh, this is this is an amazing thing. Do you know that our cells 
are, are 99.9% nothing. Our bodies are made, every atom is just space. We are mostly made of space. And if you feel into that and you think about the more vulnerability you have, you're, you're tapping into the space in your body. And what I feel when I feel into my vulnerability is somebody can throw something at me, say an insult. If I feel into the vulnerability, it's almost like it just breezes through me. It's like I can feel it move through me, whereas there is this clenching to masculinity for myself that has these things sort of bounce off me or punch me or hit me more. Does that make sense? <laughs> I'm grabbing the size of my face like Kevin McAllister in Home Alone. <laughs> I, was, um, I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it does make sense. I don't think I've ever thought of it that way. I mean, I think for me, what I was choosing to do for, for I mean, decades of my life is just put on more and more and thicker and thicker armor until I was um, unable to walk and, um, or, you know, or even have organs that function because of the, you know, thickness and the heaviness of that. And it's, you know, I'm in the process of unlearning that. It's been years now of understanding that, like, the person who was suffering the most was me. Because, yeah, when I, like, got real, real, and I, and I do know what you mean by tough. It's, it's that thickening. Like, when I got super thick <laughs> um, in terms of just this, the, the distance between me and other people, this, like, absolute wall that I was putting up. Um, I was just really suffering back there, you know, and I'm, I love what you're saying. I, I really hadn't thought of it that way. And I think for me, it's just felt so scary to like unthicken to, it's just felt so scary, so necessary, helpful. It's been pausing. I'm getting all the right feedback in terms of even just how I feel like I feel better, but it still feels so scary. So I think, I think what you're saying is, I mean, it sounds like the matrix. So I'm going to go ahead and like, Keep that in mind when I'm thinking about vulnerability is that it's like it's bullet time. Vulnerability yeah. is bullet time. It's just <laughs> it's just gonna pass right through. Um, yeah. Do you know who Asper Bergman is? Mm -mm. He's a writer, trans writer, and um he was one of the first people that I ever heard write about many years ago, how he would actually notice his, and I don't know if this is what you're talking about, I but I know what you're talking about in the ways that you come from this, you know, you we grow up queer, closeted, terrified, um, <clears throat> and not really feeling a part of the world. And then all this shit happens where people are saying horrible things, even the people that you love and respect because it's happening in church of all places. And, um, and then you build up this like thing where you see everything differently. Um, I walk down the road, even still, if I'm holding Meg's hand, I expect somebody to holler something at us. She's 33. We have like a 12-year age difference. And or maybe, she's, yeah, I keep forgetting what her age is. And she she doesn't ever expect that. And that is simply because of the different places we grew up mm -hmm. and the different times we grew up. But Bear would talk about doing these experiments where he sort of would notice that the more comfortable he was with himself, the less that came. And it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing because we never want to say that, you know, our own tension is what brings <clears throat> more stuff our way, but he writes about it in a way where he really gets to the point. It's beautiful. I, I would recommend talk, having him on here sometime. He's you wonderful. And, um, 
And he just talks about, like, he's talking about this one instance on a plane where he's sitting next to this woman and, and she just is so open to him because he is just so open with himself. And I, I feel into that a lot. I wonder how people would meet me differently um, if I were more capable of just instinctively trusting they're not going to hate me because I'm queer. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not really there yet. And that's just how it, it is. But it's nice yeah. to see it on my partner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, well, look, let's talk forever. Okay. <laughs> is the first thing I'll say. <laughs> <All right. laughs> but the, the second thing I want to say is that I will send you back into your day for today. Okay. Okay. Um, I love I wanna... talking to you, Cameron. Oh, I you mean, oh. Are, are we going right now? Is that goodbye? I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you one question. <laughs> yeah. This is the question I ask everybody, where okay. I say, um, where I ask you if you want to shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing. That oh, you I feel. remember you did this last time. I just did it. I just shouted out yeah. bear. Um, wait, let me see if I can find another one. I mean, there are so many. Let's just say with bear right now because that might uh, that might get you to get him on the the podcast. But okay, you got it. He's fantastic. Yep. Well. Um, Listen, Doc, you're the coolest. So are you. So are you. And congratulations on all the rad stuff you're doing. And uh, I like the most recent photo that you posted of yourself looking sexy in the window. Keep hanging out by windows. Oh, my um, God. Thank you. And um, have a wonderful life. I want to come see you in the fall. <laughs> I'm coming. I'm coming. You're in L.A., right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm coming out that way. Okay, I'm going to come see you. And then here's the other thing I'll say, just for anybody listening, you would love to see Andrea Gibson live. Just just telling you that's true. So if you have the chance in a city near you, trust me, you would love this. Thank you. Thank you.